Well, greetings and welcome, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tara Rama's Hard News on Friday night on BBS Radio, Radio Station One. So welcome, welcome, welcome. We're grateful that you're joining us here tonight. Let's take a few moments and go into that heart space and get ready for the evening. So take a few gentle breaths. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, slowly, gently, as we listen to we hear that calling drum. To go into your heart space, let go of that dross of the day. And gather around with your guides and guardians, your spirit kings, your healing kings, all those you like to journey with, the bikini drum. There's a council fire in the center, so let us gather around that council fire. Coming close, make that perfect circle. that virtual way we know how to do <laughs> as we call in the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition with the Kimi drum. open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see all things clearly. We greet from the north, the house of night. Welcome from above the house of paradise, 
where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now. Welcome from below the house of the earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmony so that we might get more. Welcome to the center, source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. How are you, Hulaku, Eva Maya, Eva Ho? How are you? Hunaku, even Maya, even Ho. Are you Hunaku, even Maya, even Ho? All hail the harmony of mind and nature, Omatakuyashi, in Hakashi, Alakan. You are me, I am another you. So let's just stay wherever that drumbeat took you. If we take a few moments to look at the Mayan record of days for today and in the week ahead. Today just blue solar monkey. So it's um, <laughs> a nine June and um, it's kin number 191. And we are in the wave spell of Akbal, the blue night. So this is uh, National Indigenous Peoples Day, and let's celebrate that. As we take a look to at the uh, what's going on this week, let's look at the a little closer at this this blue monkey, this solar blue monkey. <laughs> I and so it's. The the, uh, the solar tone, the nine tone, is realizing intention and pulse are three descriptive words. And the, the monkey, chewing, is three words, play, illusion, and magic. So here's the affirmation of the mantra for today. I pulse in order to play, realizing, illusion. I feel the process of magic. With the solar tone of intention, I am guided by the power of accomplishment. And which that guide tone is that? It is. It is um, <laughs> Monique, the blue hand. So the occult power today, as we we're working with in that segment of the day, is the white dog, Ock. 
And our ally today is the Yellow Star, Lamotte, about beauty. Just walk with beauty. And our challenge teacher is the Red Dragon, the beginning. So <clears throat> we walk with those today. And, um, yeah, so what healing are you intending to accomplish today? And what dreams are you pulsing into reality? So that's the day for that. So let's look at two and a little bit closer. It's artist aspects, and it's about balance and work and play. And paying attention to clarity of mind and that wise use of magical artistry. So we embrace the gifts of innocence and spontaneity and that ability to play and, and laugh. Have a good time <laughs> as we let go of any insensitivity or any jadedness or any resistance to compassion or any mistrust as we embrace these energies today. And, and then moving on to tomorrow, we have a portal day. It's a 10 ebb, the yellow planetary human. And uh, the yellow planetary human is about... Um, is ebb, so it's a healing aspect. So it's about working with our enli- the enlightenment of humankind and activating cosmic consciousness and attuning to spirit. So we embrace a gift of being that human servant warrior. We embrace a gift of abundance and that contact with other dimensions, which is amplified with this being a portal day. So it's a powerful day tomorrow in the universe. Let's let go of any dependence on the analytical mind and embrace these energies of the human as we do our work on Saturday. And then moving along to Sunday, it's an 11th band, the Red Spectral Skywalker. So the Skywalker energy is a warrior aspect, and it's about focus. So it's about striving towards self-elimination. And it's about clarity. So we embrace these gifts of that strength of the Skywalker and the warrior aspect and that ability to bend dimensions as uh, we do that. We know how to do that. So let's let go of any resistance to faith or any belief in aloneness as we embrace these energies on Sunday. And then moving along to Monday at 12 each, the magician. The white magician, and it's a twelve, so it's a white crystal wizard. So we're looking at a visionary aspect here with the illumination and for others is what our work is. So we're working with clarity of mind and purpose as we embrace these gifts of being that shaman, working with that jaguar medicine, and working in integrity and working in accordance with divine will with this energy <clears throat> on Monday. So let's let go of any control or any personal power issues or any manipulation as we embrace these energies on Monday with that 12. And then Tuesday, we complete this wave of Akbal, working with our abundance and our dreams. Uh, <clears throat> on Tuesday, with the Blue Cosmic Eagle, it's the last day is the way to the night. So it's that promise of change 
<clears throat> that ego energy is a visionary aspect, so we're working with our commitment to service and moving consciousness to source. As we re- reconnect with all creation in this way, we embrace these gifts of independence and belief in ourselves. So let's let go of any feelings of despair or any dissociation and let go of the illusion of separateness. As we embrace these energies on Tuesday and then Wednesday is the first day of a new wave, the wave of the red magnetic earth, Kaban. So <clears throat> we're looking to navigate earth energy during this wave spell as we work with wait a minute. No, it's not. Okay, it's Pete, excuse me, the warrior energy. <laughs> so it's the wave of the warrior. So we're working with our integrity uh, as we, <clears throat> and and right action as we work with uh, this wave spell. Pete that we're in, and Pete is a warrior aspect, so we trust in our journey and we bring awareness of right action in our actions. So let's embrace these gifts of that communication with the divine and our access to cosmic consciousness as we let go of any limitation or any restriction or hesitation. And then on Thursday, it's a Kaban, a two Kaban and the red magnetic earth, I mean the red lunar earth, excuse me. This is a healing aspect and so we are that earth keeper of the earth and we have that awareness of earth energy so we bring the gifts of that access to planetary harmony being that balancing point and working with our intuition to accomplish these things so let's let go of any separation any failure to read the signs and then I got all mixed up because I left Keith out, so that had to be you correct. So then on Friday, it's the two, it's now, it's another portal day, and it's so it's the white lunar mirror. That's not right because I'm not, I'm three and not two. It's the white electric mirror. And it is a portal day, so I think I'm all mixed up now, but <laughs> I'll straighten it out eventually. <clears throat> um, yeah, the portal day is the Kaban day because it's the two. And um, so that that's the one that's the portal day. So we're on um, Etsnav and it's, it's the electric one, and Etsnav is uh, the mirror. So we're working with another warrior aspect. So this is a, about working on our groundedness and that wise use of honesty and self-understanding. The mirror gives us lots of self-understanding. So let's embrace these gifts of scrying the unseen, working with that fluidity and persistence in the mirror, and letting go of any illusion of separateness or any fear about abandonment or any illusions as we embrace these energies on Friday and we'll talk about it some more 
And let's remember that it's key that is the portal day. I will look it up again and let you know. (laughs) With that, I'm going to change my hat, and we are going to talk about the housekeeping. As we are a listener-supported radio program, it's each of us that makes it happen. And each week we need $300 to cover our expenses with BBS Radio. And we did get a week behind and then some. So we need, it's $300 each week. We, what we need now is $617.61. So we're just over a week behind. So we can catch up, I'm sure. And here's how we do it. Go into your heart space and see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. And there you can click on Radio Station 1 and find our listing on the menu for Fridays on Radio Station 1, the hard news on Friday nights for Tar and Lama. Or, and also, while you're there on that menu, you can also look at Thursdays at the 6 o'clock hour, and these are Pacific times. And you'll find an, uh, a night at the round table with the panel. You can click on that icon as well. Either one of those icons, as you click on it, will take you directly to our account with BBS Radio, where you can make that donation in any amount. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your attention to this matter. We are so grateful for all your contributions. We're grateful for all that BBS Radio does for us in our archives and schedules and all that we do there, all that they do with us. And we're also grateful for Tara and Lama and what they do. And uh, so thank you for supporting our program that way. We're very grateful. 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. We're also assisting Tara and Lama with their needs. So, um, and again, gratitude for all that they do. What they need this week is actually, this is rent week. So that's when the, the end of the month bills are due. That's when the rent is due. Um, December begins on Wednesday, so the rent will be due Tuesday. And that's 11.50 for the rent. And they have $400 in bills that are due this week, and I think they're due by Wednesday as well. Um, and then they also need a couple hundred dollars for living expenses. So, as we can make it all happen, thank you, all you subscribers, for your dedication to Rent Week and all the other people that help pick up the rest of it. <laughs> Let's be generous with the, the, the December, the month of giving. <laughs> And uh, showing our gratitude for those who help us along the way. So, lots of gratitude for all that uh, that you bring to the world and all the ways that you show up. And this is another thing to be grateful for is your participation here. Uh, here's how we make a contribution to Tar and Lama. So, because we're looking at one three hundred and fifty dollars that's needed. So, um, yeah, that's a big order, and we can do it. Uh, so here's how we do it. We, you want to go to the web address, rainbowroundtable.com, and there on the homepage, you can click on the menu grid, 
and that menu at near the bottom of that list is a donate section. Click on that. That will link you to Rama's PayPal account where you can make a donation in any amount. And, uh, yeah, and if you want to just go to paypal.com, which is another way to access that account, you can put in Rama's email there and access the friends option that way. So the email for Rama at PayPal for that friends option is um, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And you just enter that, and that takes you to Rama's account as well. So either way is perfect. We're grateful for your contributions. And as you're sending something, please let Rama know what you're sending and when you send it. So that address for Rama, email address, Koran, K-O-R-A-N-999 at Comcast.net. And there you go. That's all you need. And if you need it, we have the physical address, and it is as follows. Rom D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280. 280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567. And I'll give it again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information you need to make those contributions. And again, we're grateful for all you new people <laughs> to to pitch in a little bit as well. We're we're grateful for all of you. So much gratitude. And and what else? Oh my goodness, I think that's it. That's all the information. So thirteen thank yous and honey in the heart. Long life, no evil. I'm passing this talking stick. <laughs> and it's it's got Ophiuchus energy on it. We're getting right into Ophiuchus territory, Saint Germain, and and let's look at all that. And Quetzalcoatl and the, the Plume Serpent one, and all those little people. And this talking stick is just full of all kinds of decorations, feathers, and and lots of birds, <laughs> lots of fairies. Lots of manahunis and hobbits and and gnomes and little people. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. It's coming your way. Greetings. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy day after Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving for every day we get to be alive and well and and among the living. We are giving thanks to be here. Now. All time is now. All time is now. I'll read just the first few sentences and then Ramo take it away from there. On this day, Rama says, I went to visit Professor Nicodemus and Dr. Steve at 11.45 a.m. late this morning. They 
said to me, Lord Rama, the energies are as high as our bodies can handle it. Meaning the ascension frequencies, ascension symptoms, the light coming in from the sun, it's as high as cosmic law will allow it for our bodies to envelop this light without, uh, you know, just ascending on the spot, <laughs> so to speak. Some of that is going on, whether the mainstream news is talking about it or not. There we go. No oh, good. And then the next sentence is, then they took me to their lab slash workroom uh, in through this manhole under the street and into a underground room there. And that's across the street from what restaurant? From a organic restaurant, Sweetwater Harvest. And Santa Fe. Yeah. And then uh, Rama continues, as we went into the room, there were two six feet tall transformers. These transformers were from telephone poles that they had gotten from the junkyard. Get away from there, huh? Somehow they hooked up their, their Tesla coil to the two transformers, and then they said, go sit over alongside one of the walls and meditate on where you would like to go. And they turned on the Tesla coil, and the transformers did their thing, and there were arcs of light that went across the room, and... Dr. Steve and Professor Nicodemus are in some kind of Faraday cage, and I was in the room with the arcs of energy, and I didn't feel a thing except focusing on the meditation and where I wanted to go. And I did this for about 15 minutes, and then I found myself in the pool in Mr. Fan's house. And I, somehow I teleported there. His wife was eating breakfast, a late breakfast at 11.45 or after. It was closer to 12. Must have been brunch. Yeah. <laughs> His wife was a bit startled, and she said, I wasn't expecting you, Rama. At least not like that. Right. And I said, excuse me, and I'll be on my way. And I just focused on where I wanted to go back, and I ended up back into Miss Dr. Steve's and Professor Nicodemus's lab. And... Um, they said, uh, they said, you did quite well with that. Just 
keep meditating and focusing these transformative energies coming in at this time. Focus on peace. This is what we're saying, the biggest story that's going on with the drama right now. And I can just say, overall, the energies are getting, like they said, as high as our bodies can handle it, and some can't handle it, and they're losing it, like we are seeing, combined with the dark side playing with their technologies to make people lose it. And blaze the violet fire for all the things that have happened over this week. And all of it has to do with what is going on at this time where, like I keep saying, the energies are getting as high as they can go before we kind of teleport <laughs> and the dark side is continuing to play their games to create a fascist regime right at this time. And it is a huge deal. And war is never the answer. This is what I keep being told by all the folks I talk to. And still and yet, there is this old consciousness that's going on. And um, it is about the programming that came in a long, long time ago in a galaxy not so far, far away. And it has to do with mother's wayward children. And we're all part of this story because we have free will choice within the laws of the one to stay in balance or create ideas about less than. And the biggest issue I see playing out right now along with millions of other folks on the planet, is this blind rush towards these ideas of, as Tom Hartman describes it, the lunatic fringe on the right are kind of looking for a father figure. Yet that father figure is not Darth Vader or Hitler or Donald Trump or... Uh, <laughs> I don't know where to go with the stories. It is about love. That's how this planet changes. And everything is up on the table right now. We, every day, I keep hearing about the fact that the sun is about to go through its huge transfiguration and it's going to affect all of life. Everyone's going to see it. We are the ones that are maybe aware. As we're not aware, we're going to get aware real quick. Might be instantaneously, and some can handle it. Some, inshallah, God willing, they will get it in their own way. Blaze the violet fire. It is about love. 
and it's not about violence. This has been the issue here, control, ideas about um, where to go with this in the concept that There are, uh, we are e all equal in this story. There are no father figures, no mother figures. We are all divine children of creator source. Mm -hmm. And as we get that one, the war ends, starts in here, forgiving oneself. And I can go on and on yet. I pass the talking stick. You do. <laughs> well, um, so do you get the sense that this isn't going to wait till next year or anything? I get the sense this, you know, with me just being able to go into this room and sit down and meditate with these, you know, energies pouring across the room from this Tesla coil, and I was just able to meditate for about 15 minutes, and I could teleport to Mr. Fan's pool, tells me things are moving exponentially fast. I wasn't able to do that maybe last year so I know things are moving very quickly that's what I could say it's about us learning how to slow down and go into that oneness the quantum field when I sat and meditated and I was hearing the arcs of energy going across the room it was a little freaky and I had to say, I mean, I was not afraid and I wasn't really anxious about the arcs of energy creating something detrimental. Because I know that sometimes these kinds of things, when you play with arcs of energy and Tesla coils and transformers, shit can happen and you might not be here afterwards. Yet as you use the violet flame and go into the quantum field, everything works in proper perspective. That's what I can say. I pass the talking stick. Okay. Um, so let's play that. Tell everybody what we're going to play. Um... This is um, Mystery of the Weeping Woman by Robert Spear. Yeah, and it's about the goddess energy. Yeah. The goddess energy and the human potential. 
Okay, let's just start this. Let's do this. Okay. Okay. traditionally told throughout Mexico, Central America, and Northern South America. While there are several versions, they all usually start out in a small, tiny village somewhere in Latin America, where there lived a beautiful girl, often named Maria, who was so pretty that most of the villagers believed her to be the most beautiful girl in the world. She is usually depicted as a gorgeous indigenous woman that marries a rich European conquistador to whom she bears two children. One day, Maria sees her husband with another woman and in a fit of blind rage, she drowns her children in a river, which she immediately regrets. Unable to save them and consumed by guilt, she drowns herself as well, but is unable to enter the afterlife, forced to be in purgatory and roam this earth until she finds her children. In another version of the story from Guatemala, a woman who had an affair with a lover became pregnant, then drowned her child so her husband would not know. Regardless of the version, recurring themes include a white, wet dress, nocturnal wailing and crying, and an association with water. This legend of the weeping woman about a vengeful ghost who's said to roam the waterfront areas mourning her children whom she drowned is told to kids to encourage them to not wander off in the dark and is depicted in art and theatrical performances coinciding with the Day of the Dead, which takes place around the time of Halloween. La Llorona is most commonly associated with the colonial era and the dynamic between Spanish conquistadors and indigenous women, especially with La Malinche, a multilingual Mexica woman who acted as the primary interpreter for Hernan Cortes during his conquest of the Aztec Empire. However, early colonial texts provide evidence that the lore is pre-Hispanic, connected to specific Aztec mythological creation stories, in particular to Siaquatl, an Aztec goddess, deity of motherhood, who seeks children to keep for herself, as well as Katlike, known as Our Lady Mother, or Tanatsi. In Book 8 of the Florentine Codex, also known as the General History of the Things of New Spain by Fray Bernardino de Sagun, compiled in the 1500s from natives of Mexico, we read, quote, In the days of this same Motacucoma, it happened that the demon Siacotl walked about weeping at night in the streets of Mexico. Everyone heard it, saying, My children, woe is me that I must soon leave you. Although in this passage he calls her a demon, which has a malevolent context from a Christian perspective, it derives from the Latin word for spirit and from the Greek meaning deity, divine power, lesser God, sometimes including souls of the dead. In any event, 
She is also described as one of the most important goddesses of the Aztecs, associated with small children, with a crib or cradle as one of her distinguishing marks. Her further description goes on to say, quote, and they also say that she carries a crib with her, as someone would who carried her child in it. And she goes to the market, among other women, and disappearing, she would leave behind the crib. When other women discovered that the crib had been forgotten there, they would look to see what was inside, and there would be a flint, like iron, of the rough kind which they killed those they sacrificed. By this, they understood that it was Siokoto who had left it there. In his time, it came to pass that the demon, that in the form of a woman, walked and appeared by day and by night, and was called Siokoto, ate a small boy who was in his cradle in the town of Aska Pozalco. Never diet again. Instead, try doing this weird method for just four days straight to lose a crazy amount of weight. It may... Thomas Hanvier, writing in 1910, held this belief, quote, This legend is not, as all of the other legends are, of Spanish-Mexican origin. It is wholly Mexican, a direct survival from primitive times. La Llorona is a stray from Aztec mythology, an ancient powerful goddess living on her power for evil lesson, but still potent into modern times. While I agree that the legend predates the Spanish arrival in Mesoamerica, similar stories concerning feminine water goddesses exist in Europe, such as the Slavic Rusalka or water spirit, the French Melusine, which is female from the waist up, and Serpentine from the waist down, and the Germanic Nixie, which was a mythological river maiden. There have been numerous figurines discovered going back over 6,000 years into Neolithic times, meaning the Stone Age, of what appear to be mourning goddesses or weeping artifacts. While some anthropologists postulate that they were created to be buried with dead relatives, this only accounts for 10% of the artifacts, and there's evidence of ritual use prior to being deposited in graves. Lab tests show that they were painted and repainted every year, likely during the autumn harvest festival, or in other words, the rainy season, which speaks to ancient Indo-European or Aryan mythology, where autumn is associated with the entrance to the underworld or the land of the dead. In Greek mythology, Niobe is the goddess of snow and winter, prototype of the bereaved mother weeping for the loss of her children. While the number of her children differs according to different accounts, Euripides tells us that she had 14, seven sons and seven daughters. Artemis and Apollo, both excellent archers, took their bows and killed the children. Devastated, Niobe stood rigid until she turned to stone, but even then tears wouldn't stop pouring from her eyes. I'm sure some of you are already connecting the dots to the weeping statues of the Virgin Mary, where her tears are referred to as the seven sorrows of Mary, but more importantly, to astrotheology. In Renaissance art, 
Apollo and Artemis represent the sun and the moon. But this is also how they divided the year, the light part from spring to autumn and the dark part from autumn to spring. So who are Niobe's children then? If we accept that these myths have their origin in the Neolithic, then the spring would be Taurus, autumn in Scorpio, summer solstice in Leo, and winter in Aquarius. In ancient mythology, Orion represented Apollo during the evening, since the sun was invisible at night. That said, his arrow is pointing towards the Pleiades, known as the Seven Sisters in Greek myth, but can also be the Seven Brothers, Seven Wise Men, Seven Goddesses, Seven Cows, etc. The dark part of the year, during the Neolithic, started with Scorpio, with the constellation Aura positioned right under it with seven stars in Sagittarius, shaped like a centaur, who is an archer, pointing its bow at it. In other words, these combined would account for Niobe's slain children. The spring and autumn refer to the rainy season, which can be interpreted as the tears of the morning goddess, which also coincided with a time of periodic ritual sacrifice esoteric transmutation, and communal sex magic. This universal astrotheology was disseminated worldwide by an ancient Aryan seafaring civilization, which the Greeks referred to during the Holocene as the Phoenicians, but as I've demonstrated in prior videos, goes back much further into the prehistoric Pleistocene to a global civilization the same ancient Greeks and Egyptians refer to as Atlantis. My name is Robert Sepper. I'm an anthropologist. My published work is available on Amazon and through all other major book outlets. If you'd like to support my work, you can do that through patreon.com. There should be a link in the description. Please subscribe for future updates. Leave your thoughts below. Have a wonderful weekend, and I hope to see you again soon. Very interesting. Okay, well, that's, um, I didn't know that one. Did you, Rama? Mm, I have heard about, like, here in New Mexico, they have a story about the ditch witch and children, you know, falling into the ditches and drowning. And they warn uh, children and they have stories in the Hispanic and Native American cultures of um, something similar of a ghostly kind of etheric figure that shows up, uh, maybe not weeping, but kind of wailing or making funny sounds. And there are actual stories in the Santa Fe, New Mexican, of state police seeing this ghostly woman on the road. And Are there ditches? Are there ditches? You Where? know, all throughout, you know... Albuquerque, Espanola, Santa Fe, you know, all the way up to Chava. 
and you know children people tell me where there's one in Santa Fe um, south along um, highway 14 I can't think of I, we've been going down there forever yeah but I can't recall exactly Guess we'll have to have someone guide us. But, you know, like when there's flash floods and torrential rains and, you know, sometimes the snow piles up in the ditches too and creates ice and water and ch children, people drown. I mean, I can go from here. I know the river that they've had lots of drownings in the river. Yeah, the Rio Grande River. Sometimes yeah. this ghostly figure shows up along the Rio Grande River too and lures people in. But I, you know, that kind of energy is the lower astral kingdom and I don't usually go there. That's what I got to say. I don't hang out in those realms. I pass the talking stick. Okay, well, let's just uh, tell everybody where we can come and... Oh, the, the number for the conference call is 717-2. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm having a Alzheimer moment here. Yes. <laughs> drama 720-716-7301 and the pin code is 353-863-POUND join us there everyone and we'll be right back here at the very top of the next hour at BBS radio the best radio in the universe bar none See you on the conference for now. Namaste, everybody.
Thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. In vlog 296, the Company of Heaven reminded us of the incredible opportunities that are being presented to us during this cosmic moment. This influx of light is unlike anything we have ever experienced. In order for all of us to be able to assimilate the full benefit of the events that have taken place, we are being asked by the company of heaven to take some time this month to just breathe, to focus on the light, and to be here now. In response to this request from on high, today we are going to replay a video of one of the activities of light that helped to bring the Immaculate Concept of the 36th Annual World Congress on Illumination to victorious fruition. This video is titled, I am loving all life free with cosmic forgiveness. As you watch this video, please focus on your holy breath. I am loving all life free with cosmic forgiveness. I am my I am presence and I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman and child on earth. Collectively, humanity's I am presences now merge into one luminous being of light that is cradling Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her within the divinity of our unified heart flames. As one collective I am presence, the sons and daughters of God now merge our unified heart flames with the heart flames of our Father Mother God and the legions of light throughout infinity. Now, as we breathe our elevated holy breath, Every person on this planet is being lifted into a higher frequency of unity consciousness. This frequency is the very essence of our Father Mother God. Every person is experiencing this shift in perfect alignment with our divine plan and the highest good for all concerned. Beloved Father, Mother, God, we ask that you now greatly intensify within every person's heart flame your comprehensive divine love and your violet flame of cosmic forgiveness. 
with every breath we take is sacred fire now flows through our fifth dimensional heart chakra and floods mother earth and all life evolving upon her with divine love and cosmic forgiveness as this exquisite light bathes the earth every facet of life is lifted into a higher order of being our i am presence now opens our fifth dimensional crown chakra of enlightenment to full breath this allows each of us to receive higher solar light codes through the portals of the suns in earth's lineage now our father mother god breathes multi-dimensional and multi-faceted fifth dimensional crystalline solar light through the portals of suns beyond suns into humanity's crown chakras these powerful solar light codes descend into every person's heart flame and are secured within the core of purity in every cell of humanity's earthly bodies this influx of light is accelerating the vibration within every person's physical etheric mental and emotional bodies to frequencies we have not previously experienced now all is in readiness through our i am presence we will all participate at both inner and outer levels in this opportunity this activity of light is stated in the first person so that every one of us will experience it both individually and collectively and we begin through my i am presence i now reach up into the infinity of my own unity consciousness i clearly perceive that as i am lifted up all of humanity is being lifted up with me in this frequency of unity consciousness i see that humanity's free will is at long last becoming one with god's will instantaneously i see the truth of every person on earth i see all of my sisters and brothers in the family of humanity even the most recalcitrant or asleep souls as precious sons and daughters of god no matter how far their behavior patterns or their life experiences may be from reflecting that truth i perceive all of the painful human miscreations associated with my sisters and brothers as innocent primordial energy entering my awareness now to be transmuted back into light and loved free 
I happily greet all of these sons and daughters of God and all of their misqualified energy the same way my Father Mother God would greet them. I greet them with comprehensive divine love from within the embrace of eternal peace, detachment, God confidence, compassion, and cosmic forgiveness. I am enveloped in an invincible force field of God's infinite light as I invite my sisters and brothers into the kingdom of heaven within my heart flame. I hold them in my arms of light as I would an injured child. They cannot overwhelm me or control me in any way. I simply hold them and love them until they surrender to the love of God, desiring on their own to enter the kingdom of heaven within the divinity of their own heart flames. Now, rather than feeling rejected and thus perpetuating their negative behavior patterns, my sisters and brothers feel accepted and loved as the innate sons and daughters of God they are. They voluntarily release themselves into the light and they begin to know that they are one with all life and that all life is divine. I rejoice that every person and their unascended energies are finding their way home and I release myself into the peace of knowing my I am presence is handling all imperfection perfectly. Now, as these sons and daughters of God awaken and surrender to their I am presence, they begin to remember who they are and why they are on earth during this cosmic moment. With this sacred knowledge, they once again find their proper place in the family of humanity. In perfect divine order, they are set free to live and co-create the patterns of perfection associated with the new earth, which are now being revealed intuitively through their open hearts and minds. Now from this powerful perspective of oneness and unity consciousness, the company of heaven will empower our invocations to transmute back into light the thoughts, feelings, words, and actions that humanity has expressed in the past that are not based in love. Those expressions have been instrumental in perpetuating the painful illusions of separation and duality. As we transmute this misqualified energy back into light, the way is being cleared for the co-creation of the heart-based patterns 
associated with the new earth. And we begin. I invoke beloved Saint Germain and the legions of fifth dimensional archangels associated with the violet flame of God's cosmic forgiveness. Beloved ones, I ask that you gather up every electron of precious life energy being expended by humanity during this sacred and holy time. Purify this energy with the power and might of a thousand suns using the new fifth dimensional solar frequencies of God's violet flame of cosmic forgiveness. Weave this purified energy into the collective cup of humanity's consciousness, which is now being formed by the global attention being focused on the events unfolding in the outer world. I accept and know that through this activity of light, every electron of precious life energy being released by the sons and daughters of God on earth will now be available for their I am presence to use in manifesting the immaculate concept of the divine plan for Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her. Beloved legions of light, I now ask that you breathe through every person's heart flame the most intensified frequencies of cosmic forgiveness that humanity is capable of receiving during this cosmic moment. Blaze the full divine momentum of this incomparable frequency of God's infinite light in, through, and around every electron of precious life energy that has ever been misqualified by the sons and daughters of God in any time frame or dimension, both known and unknown. Now, with the full power of my beloved I Am Presence and the fifth dimensional violet flame of cosmic forgiveness, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive every person, place, condition, or thing that may have wronged me in any way at any time for any reason whatsoever. And I love free all debts owed to me by life everywhere. I now invoke this violet flame of God's cosmic forgiveness on behalf of myself and every person on earth for any misuse of God's gift of life since the beginning of time. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. 
and as I am forgiven, I send forth a gift of God's comprehensive divine love to balance all debts to any facet of life that I have created which still remain unpaid. I am grateful for the violet flame of cosmic forgiveness, which is allowing me and all of humanity to love all of our misqualified energy free before it can act, manifest, or longer be sustained. Now I speak directly to the heart of this violet flame. Sacred fire, enfold me in your purifying, forgiving, healing substance, which will cause the consciousness and feeling of God's cosmic forgiveness to flow forth from me to all life everywhere with every breath I take. Let this purifying essence saturate the atmosphere around me. Wherever I live, move, breathe, and have my being, allow your miracle working force of cosmic forgiveness to give daily tangible proof of your reality to all life. Beloved Saint Germain, and the legions of fifth dimensional archangels associated with the violet flame of God's cosmic forgiveness. Intensify and guard this frequency of the violet flame around me and all of humanity in order that we may use our life and our light to their fullest in our service to life. activity of light by flooding my being with the joyful experience of God's cosmic forgiveness. I know that in forgiving I let go of all of the effects of any misused energy impinging on my life and the lives of humanity. I let go of the ignorance confusion and pain of this world. I have come to love life free and with the gift of cosmic forgiveness, so I shall. This is the heart center of my existence, the joy of forgiving life as it enters my awareness. From this moment forth, I am setting all life free into a higher vibration with a violet flame of cosmic forgiveness that Saint Germain and the legions of fifth dimensional archangels have given so freely into my keeping this sacred and holy day. I am a force of this violet flame now blessing all life on this sweet earth. 
I am the joy of cosmic forgiveness. I am the joy of cosmic forgiveness. I am the joy of cosmic forgiveness. And so it is, beloved I am. Beloved I am. Beloved I am that I am. journey inwards, relaxing, and let us know with no hesitation, with absolute certainty, that within us is the very source of our existence, a source that has never judged us, simply waited for us to remember, for us to awaken, to rediscover our divinity. And so inwardly we affirm, through the inner sanctum of my being, I greet the source of my existence, the mother-father presence and consciousness of life, that abides within me, around me, and everywhere transcendent. Mother, Father, I ask that from your end you will open, open my individualized consciousness wide. I release a stream, a stream of your divine consciousness through my individualized consciousness into my awareness, into my mind, my heart, my feelings, my physical body. And Mother, Father, as I consciously connect with you, there is something specifically that I have come to ask. Under the Christ's guidance, ask, believing, and you shall receive. And so today, Mother, Father, there's something specific that I would like to ask for. And I'll leave you in the silence for a moment and allow each of you to communicate inwardly and ask the Mother, Father, presence of life within you what it is that you desire. with a heart of gratitude let us prepare to shift into the sacred silence and do our best to hold a knowing a feeling 
to allow that feeling to rise up in us and to hold the feeling that all that we have asked is on its way, is being provided. This is both a process of surrendering, letting go. It is a time to receive and let us shift ourselves into the feeling side of life and know that if we can hold the feeling that what we have asked for is being provided, it is done. And allow that feeling of gratitude and joy, what other feelings come up, just allow them to rise. Allow their fulfillment throughout your temple. And in the sacred silence, just pay attention without words. This is the sacred language, absence of words. And just hold the feeling in the sacred silence that what you have asked for is being provided with deep gratitude. Let us engage the silence with those rich feelings that you have been answered and what you have asked for is forthcoming, is being provided. Why don't you go forward a little bit, darling? Hmm. Might be that's all there is. Okay, well, let's do cry on. Is being provided. That's all there is. (laughs) Okay, let's do crying. Oh, um, mother, we can do you. (laughs) You want to do you? <laughs> and away we go, everybody. <laughs> Let me move this microphone a little closer. So that's everybody. We've got a early visit from our our mother. Oh, let's just make sure this technology is moving. Up. Well, in hand here. Okay. 
maybe come a little closer, Mother. That'll work, too. All right, so we are all servants of peace, everyone. And we're commencing on a journey. Uh, you might say the season is here, the Christmas season, the spirit of giving and receiving. I would say that would be uh, the emphasis on receiving love because that's what the Divine Feminine is really good at. And I think the best teacher is sitting right next to me right now. Thank you, Mother, for showing up in our lives again tonight. Greetings. In the light. In the light of the, the most radiant one. In the office of the Christ. And only in the office of the Christ. We invoke the loving energies of Saint Germain and the violet flame. We ask at this time, Mother, for the spirit of higher intelligence and cosmic consciousness to be here now in our presence and that we be the guides. There's only a small group of us concerned about this enough to change the world and indeed is the only thing that ever has. Thank you, Mother. I pass the talking stick to you. Greeting, children of rock. My goodness, Alcyon, greetings. We are all here. Hi, Mother. And uh, whoever else you brought with you. <laughs> the company of heaven, as you have heard. <laughs> I see. Thank you. Well, here we are. Yes. Yes. As things are moving into this time of <coughs> giving, receiving, a return of Ophiuchus, the energies keep moving higher as this planet is bathed in the violet flame light like you just heard what Patty was saying this sacred hour is at hand it's about being here now in this moment Loving all life free. Oops, I'm sorry about that. We are watching the most trying times we could say that challenge our very existence in this realm yet it is about this cycle that is completing itself 
every 26,826 years we return beginning and the end of each yuga to balance stuff out you could say we are the great equalizer yet we don't have a gun it is A little interlude, mother. Yes. <laughs> what do you want? What, what the heck? It's about the sacred hour of the mighty I am presence. We would like to say, in loving presence, all the guns will stop working. As the energies get higher, at a certain point, the frequencies are such that what's happening right now is the very nature of this transfiguration. This is why we're seeing such intense issues at hand. We always show up at the beginning and the end of the cycles. With it comes climate disruption, climate change. Consciousness raising and conflict because it is about the shifting of the ages. We are going from Kali to Sak Yuga, and with that comes a great shift in the wind. Answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind, as Dylan said. It's about us changing how we be. What Patty was speaking about. The energies are high enough for transfiguration, transmutation of these very bodies. And all you need do is use the force. It's about going in to the quantum field within yourself. You get down to that level of those particles that make up every living thing 
They pass through light. It is light. Passes through matter. Antimatter. It is a mixture of both. This is the essence of life. Matter, antimatter. It's how we create. What's happening right now in this particular section of this little quadrant of the galaxy is we are non-stop heading for ascension. All eyes are on earth. How we do this is with love and great respect and gratitude for all life whether it swims or flies or crawls or walks. What comes to mind at the moment is the stories of what's happening in this realm as we move higher in octave as everybody's waking up to the fact war is not the answer. It's what got us here. And yes, we all participated. It's part of that story within the realm of free will choice. There is the loss of the one. There is also a free will choice to do what you choose. Just remember there are ramifications in this realm. That's the key. Because this is the realm of effects. What you think, therefore you are. It's that simple, that instant. Things are happening so instantaneously now. It's about who we are. All the animals are calling it in. They feel it. They sense it. They know it. It's about the great balance that's shifting. Just saw a sliver of the moon tonight slipping into first quarter. Getting big again, waxing. What we don't know about the moon, much more going to come out. This Artemis rocket 
not sure where to take this except to say we never needed to fly around in sex toys. It's about this Merkaba vehicle. More and more what Dr. Greer is bringing forth <coughs> about the last century. Never needed to touch a drop of oil. We got all the energy we need right here. This Merkaba vehicle. It's the ticket home. What did you mean by never needed to use a drop of oil? The last hundred years playing around with these toys that only create more samsara and death instead of using what Tesla taught the people about the ether, the light that is within us. What did the oil have to do with that? I did not wish to use Tesla energy. Instead, Mr. Westinghouse, J.P. Morgan, you know the rest of the story. Oh, you're relating the oil to them? The corporations. Oh, fossil fuel oil. Yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, yes, yes. Well, they certainly took us south. Yes. Oh, my God. And whether or not folks know it, the asteroid that came in that caused the polar shift, pieces of Maldek. That's why we have an asteroid belt. War is never the answer. Well, they blew up a nuke on Maldek. Two hydrogen nukes. Two, that's right, two. And uh, headed towards whichever city. One was Baldur and the other one was Vara. Uh, mistrusted each other, just like what's happening right now. Ukraine. Uh, yeah. Blaze of violet fire. Mr. Z. The story is war is never the answer. All we are saying is give peace a chance. And we better be on our way. You've got a lot to go before we go. (coughs) Miles to go before we sleep. Gonna go have a chat with his holiness tonight. You are? Yes. I think it's uh, about, what, at least 12 or more hours ahead. It is. So it's tomorrow morning sometime. It is indeed. (laughs) Or maybe even at the beginning of the afternoon, but that's perfect. Uh, Time for high tea.
And you don't get tired, right? No. <laughs> Just another journey on the way to ascension. Let go of all the dross, the stuff. It's just stuff. The wisdom is within. You want to go to space, gotta go into the heart. It's the easiest way. As you want to see the quantum field, what we're talking about. Well, Mother, Medi we're going to play a little music tonight to get in the spirit. Oh. Look at that. Cindy Lauper is singing with uh, Josh Groban. That ought to be a humdinger. Uh, yes. Wow. It is all about the wisdom of the heart. We better... Remember, Mother, I just wanted to say that uh, Cindy Lauper's called Rama. I think it was the in January of 2002, and she said, "I got my blessing." Yes. And I believe she's been helping all kinds of people all over the world with that. I'm not sure all the things, but that's still going on. She's probably helping people get into music, you know. Yes. Changing the way life moves on this planet to oneness. As we are all on the same page, whether we're blue or green or yellow or pink. <laughs> or whether we have antennas like nebula or Whoever, it is about what's in the heart, the empathy for all life. Greetings. Greetings, Mother. Thank you so much. And the light. Until we meet again, very soon. Very soon. <laughs> of the most radiant Greetings in the light. Okay. Namaste Adonai Vasu Paragas. Namaste Coach Thank you, Mother. You too. I'm sure you're going to help out all over the place here. Namaste. <coughs> we'll wait a little moment here the moment mother's taking her leave and Rama's snoring <laughs> oh. this is the favorite time of my uh, this is my favorite time of the year and I'm sure 
this year it's gonna be something. It's just going to be something. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello, Brahma. <sighs> yes. How are you? Um, coming back. Where were you? Um, I was on the dove in one of the arboretums and talking to these three birds that had rainbow colors and they were speaking about the return of Quetzalcoatl at this time mm -hmm. that it, it is time for the people of earth to get to know all the ascended masters that are showing up now and it's not going to be like this xenophobic story of the past. No more of that. No. We, we have had that all, up to our crown chakra, Mother. We are all one family. <laughs> Just like Aurora Ray says. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no matter who we look like. Uh-huh. We might all get a good surprise about what we look like here. That's right. <laughs> okay, so we're going to do democracy now. This is one from the past. I think it was 2004. Our brother Howard Zinn with Amy and it's wonderful, and so we're going to play this. Howard Zinn is on the uh, other side of the rainbow. And he's still here. Say, it's time to end the war. And not only that, I'm pretty sure that he has a choice to come back, because it was, I think, 2010 when he went over the rainbow. Oh, 2011. Was it? Yeah, actually 2000. I thought they said 2010. Yeah, morning. it was. Yeah. Yeah, right after Obama got in. Uh, a little later than that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, here it goes. democracy now. Remember, it's the power of the people on top it depends on the obedience of the people below. When people stop obeying, they have no power. Now, when workers go on strike, huge corporations lose their power. 
when consumers boycott, huge business establishments uh, have to give in. Today, a Democracy Now! special, remembering the legendary historian and activist Howard Zinn, who was born 100 years ago in 1922. We hear Howard Zinn in his own words, from serving in World War II as an Air Force bombardier, to getting fired at Spelman College for encouraging his students to take part in the Civil Rights Movement, to writing the best-selling People's History of the United States. Plus, we air readings from voices of the People's History of the United States, including Alfre Woodard reading the words of the labor activist Mother Jones. I want you to pledge yourselves in this convention to stand as one solid army against the foes of human labor. Think of the thousands who are killed every day and there is no redress for it. We will fight until the minds are made secure and human life values more than crops. Today, our centennial. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Yes, today, our centennial. We spend the hour remembering Howard Zinn, the legendary historian, author, professor, playwright, and activist. Howard Zinn was born 100 years ago, on August 24, 1922, to working-class Jewish immigrant parents in Brooklyn. He died in 2010 at the age of 87, but his books continue to be read across the globe. At 18 years old, Howard Zinn began working as a shipyard worker, then joined the Air Force, where he served as a bombardier in World War II. After witnessing the horrors of war, Howard Zinn went on to become a lifelong dissident and peace activist. He was active in the civil rights movement and other struggles for social justice. He taught at Spelman College in Atlanta, the historically black college for women. He was fired for insubordination for standing up for student protesters. While at Spelman, he served on the executive committee of SNCC. That's the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. After being forced out of Spelman, Zinn became a professor at Boston University. In 1967, he published Vietnam, The Logic of Withdrawal. It was the first book on the war to call for immediate withdrawal, no conditions. A year later, he and Father Dan Berrigan traveled to North Vietnam to receive the first three U.S. prisoners of war released by the North Vietnamese. When Dan Ellsberg needed a place to hide the Pentagon Papers before they were leaked to the press, he went to Howard Zinn and his late wife, Rosin. In 1980, Howard Zinn published his classic work, a People's History of the United States. The book would go on to sell over a million copies and change the way many look at history in America. We begin today's show with highlights from a production of Howard Zinn's Voices of People's History of the United States, where Howard Zinn introduces dramatic readings from history. We'll hear Alfre Woodard read the words of labor activist Mother Jones and Howard's son Jeffson read the words of an IWW poet and organizer, Arturo Giovanetti. But first, Howard Zinn. The IWW, Industrial Workers of the World, was a radical labor organization of the early 20th century. It organized all workers, black, white, men, women, native-born, foreign, skilled, unskilled, which the American Federation of Labor refused to do. Its goal was revolutionary, to take over the industrial system and run it for the benefit of the people. 
When immigrant women in the textile mills in Lawrence, Massachusetts, went on strike in 1912, they were met with police violence and judicial intimidation. The IWW poet and organizer, Arturo Giovannetti, was arrested on spurious charges for murder. Here is a speech to the jury which found him innocent. Mr. Foreman and gentlemen of the jury, it is the first time in my life that I speak publicly in your wonderful language, and it is the most solemn moment in my life. There has been brought only one side of this great industrial question, only the method and only the tactics, but what about the ethical part of the question? What about the better and nobler humanity where there shall be no more slaves, where no man will ever be obliged to go on strike in order to obtain 50 cents a week more, where children will not have to starve anymore, where women no more will have to go and prostitute themselves, where at last there will not be any more slaves, any more masters, but just one great family of friends and brothers. They say you are free in this great and wonderful country. I say that politically you are, and my best compliments and congratulations. But I say you cannot be half free and half slave. And economically, all the working class in the United States are as much slaves now as the Negroes were 40 and 50 years ago. Because the man that owns the tool where another man works, the man that owns the house where this man lives, the man that owns the factory where this man wants to go to work, that man owns and controls the bread that that man eats and therefore owns and controls his mind, his body, his heart and his soul. I am 29 years old. Not quite. I, I have a woman that loves me and that I love. I have a mother and father that are waiting for me. I have an ideal that is dear to me that can be expressed or understood. And life has so many allurements and it is so nice and so bright and so wonderful that I felt the passion of living in my heart. And I do want to live. Whichever way you judge, gentlemen of the jury, I thank you. In the year 1914, a thousand miners with wives and children who had gone on strike against the Rockefeller-owned coal mines in southern Colorado were holding out in a tent colony near the tiny hamlet of Ludlow. One day in April, the National Guard, financed by Rockefeller, began pouring machine gun fire into the tent colony and then came down from the hills and set fire to the tents. The next day, the bodies of 11 children and two women were found, suffocated, burned to death. This became known as the Ludlow Massacre. Mother Mary Jones, 82-year-old organizer for the mine workers, had come to Colorado to support the miners. And on the eve of their strike, as they gathered in the opera house in Trinidad, she spoke to them. What would the coal in the mines be worth if you did not work to take it out? The time is ripe for you to stand like men. 
I know something about strikes. I didn't go into them yesterday. I was carried 84 miles and landed in jail by a United States Marshal in the night because I was talking to a miners' meeting. The next morning I was brought to court and the judge said to me, did you read my injunction? Did you understand that the injunction told you not to look at the miners? As long as the judge who is higher than you leaves me sight, I will look at anything I want to, said I. The old judge died soon after that, and the injunction died with him. At another time when in the courtroom, the bailiff said to me, when you are addressing the court, you must say your honor. I don't know whether he has any or not, said I. Someone said to me, you don't believe in charity work, mother? No, I don't believe in charity. It is a vice. We need the upbuilding of justice to mankind. We don't need your charity. All we need is an opportunity to live like men and women in this country. I want you to pledge yourselves in this convention to stand as one solid army against the foes of human labor. Think of the thousands who are killed every day and there is no redress for it. We will fight until the minds are made secure and human life valued more than props. Look things in the face. Don't fear a governor. Don't fear anybody. You pay the governor. He has a right to protect you. You are the biggest part of this population, the biggest part of the population in this state. You create its wealth. So I say, let the fight go on. If anybody else, nobody else will keep on. I will. That was Alfrey Woodard reading the words of labor activist Mother Jones as part of a live reading of Howard Zinn's Voices of a People's History of the United States. Howard Zinn was born 100 years ago on August 24th, 1922. We'll continue with our Zentennial after this break. It was early springtime and the strike was on. It drove us miners out of doors, out from the houses that the company owned. We moved into tents up an old mud mode. I was worried bad about my children, soldiers guarding the railroad bridge. Every once in a while, a bullet would fly. Pick up gravel under my feet. We were so afraid you'd kill our children. Dug us a cave seven foot deep. Carried our young ones and a pregnant woman down inside the cave to sleep. That very night, you soldiers waited. Till all us miners was asleep You snuck around our little tent town Soaked our tents with your kerosene You struck a match and the blaze it started You pulled the trigger Ludlow Massacre by Woody Guthrie 
about a Colorado militia gunning down coal strikers in 1914. Howard Zinn once said, hearing the song was a defining moment for him and inspired him to research and tell stories left out of most history books. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we continue with our Zentennial, celebrating the life and legacy of the late Howard Zinn, born 100 years ago in 1922. Howard Zinn was a regular guest on Democracy Now! from the time we went on the air in 1996 up until his death. In 2005, he joined us in our firehouse studio at DCTV, Downtown Community Television in Lower Manhattan. It is great to have you with us. Well, it's nice of you to invite me. I was worried. <laughs> well, you just came from Bedford Hills Correctional Facility. Well, actually, uh, yesterday afternoon I spoke at the Bedford Hills euphemistically called Correctional Facility. I don't hardly correct anything, but spoke to prisoners there, women prisoners mostly prisoners of color, and spoke to them yesterday afternoon before I gave this talk last night at Manhattanville College. And what did you talk about with the women? Well, I, they had been using my book. They, they, had, they had classes. They were using my book, A People's History of the United States. They wanted, and I talked to them about history, about doing history, about why I did history the way I did, <laughs> why I did, you know, un-neutral history, why I, and how I came to do it. And I told them something about my life, and of course, I always like to talk about that, you know. And <laughs> I... Uh, uh, and then they asked a lot of questions. A very lively, enthusiastic, excited group. I mean, if every teacher in the country had a class like that, you know, they would be inspired. And it's wonderful, and I've always found this to be true, wonderful and always amazing when you talk to prisoners uh, who should be the last ones to be up and optimistic and in good spirits, but uh, it's always there. Uh, it, it's actually encouraging, uh, you know, and of course troubling to know that these people, these remarkable people, are being kept in prison, you know, very often, most of the time for nonviolent crimes, and kept there for long periods of time. So the sad commentary on American society do we have people in Washington <laughs> who are free, <laughs> and these people are in prison. You talked about being a teacher, but. Howard's in the places you were uh, where you did teach. Well, Spelman, you were fired, and Boston University, you were almost fired. Oh, are you trying to make me out as a troublemaker? <laughs> what happened to you at Spelman? Well, at Spelman, I, I got involved with my students in the, the actions that were going on in the South, the sit-ins, the demonstrations, the picket lines. I was supporting my students and and. Uh, and this was the first black president of Spelman College, a very conservative institution, and he wasn't happy about me joining the students in all of these things, wasn't happy about a lot of things that they did, but he couldn't do anything about it. But when I, the students came back from, you might say, from jail and then rebelled against the campus regulations and the restrictions on them, and I supported them. During the civil so rights years. This is, yeah, these were during the civil rights years, and, and, uh, and so... You know, he was very unhappy with the fact that I was supporting the students who were rebelling against the paternalism and the authoritarianism <laughs> on that campus. They were uh, women students. Yeah, these were black women students, and and uh, and you know the the movement 
brought them out of this little sort of uh, convent-like atmosphere of Spelman College and out into the world. The author, Alice Walker, was one of those students. Yeah, Alice Walker was one of my students. Marion Wright Edelman, the head of the Children's Defense Fund now in Washington, she was one of my students. So very proud of those students I had at Spelman. Um, and, uh, yeah, Marion... Mary Wright Edwin was in jail, and Alice Walker was in jail, and um, yeah, it was a great moment. Now, Boston University was many years later. Why did you almost get thrown out of there? Why did I almost get thrown out of Boston University? We had a strike. Faculty went on strike. Secretaries went on strike. They settled with the faculty after what was a successful strike, but not with the secretaries. And so I and some of the faculty refused to cross the secretary's picket line. And uh, and five of us who refused to do that uh, were threatened with firing, even though all of us had tenure. And so it was a long struggle, but we won. Going back before both of your uh, tenures as professor, you were bombardier in World War II. Mm, that's true, yes. And you talk about your final bombing run, mm. not over Japan, not over Germany, mm. but over France. Yeah, well, um, we thought the bombing missions were over. The war was about to come to an end. This was in April of 1945. I mean, remember the war ended in early May 1945. This was a few weeks before the war was going to be over, and everybody knew it was going to be over, and our armies were past France into Germany, but there was a little pocket of German soldiers hanging around this little town of Royan on the Atlantic coast of France, and the Air Force decided to bomb them. 1,200 heavy bombers, uh, and I was in one of them, uh, flew over this little town of Royan and dropped napalm, first use of napalm in the European theater. Oh. Uh, and we don't know how many people we killed, or how many people were terribly burned as a result of what we did, but uh, I did it like most soldiers do, unthinkingly, uh, mechanically, thinking we're on the right side, they're on the wrong side, and therefore we can do whatever we want and it's okay. And only afterward, only really after the war, that I, when I was reading about Hiroshima from John Hurston, reading the stories of the survivors of Hiroshima and what they went through, only then did I begin to think about the human effects of bombing. Only then did I begin to think about what it meant to human beings on the ground when bombs were dropped on them. Because as a bombardier, you know, I was flying at 30,000 feet, six miles high, couldn't hear screams, couldn't see blood. And this is modern warfare. Modern warfare, soldiers fire, they drop bombs, and they, they have no notion, really, of what is happening to the human beings that they're firing on. Everything is done at a distance. This enables terrible atrocities to take place. And I think uh, reflecting back on that bombing raid uh, and thinking of that in Hiroshima and all the other raids on civilian cities and the killing of huge numbers of civilians in German and Japanese cities, the killing of 100,000 people in Tokyo in one night of firebombing, all of that made me realize war, uh, even so-called good wars against fascism like World War II, Wars don't solve any fundamental problems, and they always poison everything.
everybody on both sides. They poison the minds and souls of everybody on both sides. We're seeing that now in Iraq, where the minds of our soldiers are being poisoned by being an occupying army in a land where they are not wanted. And the results are terrible. You learned you dropped napalm on this French village? Well, we didn't. We actually didn't know what it was. They said, oh, you're not going to have the usual 500-pound demolition bombs. Uh, you're going to carry one, you can carry 30 100-pound canisters of jellied gasoline. We had no idea what that was, but it was napalm. You went to that village later? Uh, later, I went, yeah, later I visited that village about 10 years after the war. I went and I went to the uh, the library, which had been destroyed and which is now rebuilt. And I dug out uh, records of what the survivors and what they had written about the bombing. And, and I, I wrote an, uh, I wrote a kind of essay about the bombing of Orion, uh, which appears, uh, where does it appear? <laughs> it appears in my book, The Zen Reader, and also in my book, The Politics of History. Uh, but it was, uh, um, for me, it was a very important experience, a very a great uh, sobering lesson about so-called good wars. You learned when you were there on the ground many years later who had died? Well, I, you know, I spoke to people who, who had survived that and who, whose family members had died, and they were very bitter uh, about uh, the bombing. And, uh, you know, they tr attributed it to all sorts of things, the desire to try out a new weapon. It's amazing how many things are done in war just to try out new weapons. You know, maybe the, the one of the reasons for dropping the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki was to see what this does to human beings. Human beings become uh, sacrifices in the desire to develop new uh, military technology. And I think that was one of those instances. We're talking to historian Howard Zinn here in our firehouse studio in Chinatown, just blocks from where the towers of the World Trade Center once stood. You went to Vietnam, to North Vietnam with Dan Berrigan? Yeah, yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> well, uh, this was early 1968. This was the time of the Tet Offensive, also the time of the Tet Holiday, uh, the, the Vietnamese holiday. And the North Vietnamese decided they wanted to release the first three airmen, prisoners, uh, who had been shot down uh, over North Vietnam. And they wanted to release them in the custody of not the American government, but the peace movement. So Daniel Berrigan, poet, priest, whom I had never met before, he and I traveled together to Hanoi, to North Vietnam, to pick up these three uh, American airmen uh, who were being released by the North Vietnamese. And then... We spent uh, some time in Hanoi and the surrounding area, visited bombed out areas, visited little villages that had been uh, jet bombed in the middle of the night, a million miles from any possible military target. Uh, and and that we, we, we were being bombed, Vietnam was being bombed every night. Every day we were going into air raid shelters. Uh, every night Daniel Berrigan would write a poem about what had happened uh, that day, um, and uh, no. Um, what do you say to those then and now, um, before the invasion, who would go to Iraq 
those who went to North Vietnam when they would be called traitors, giving comfort to the enemy. You mean Americans who went to North Vietnam? You mean like Jane Fonda and so many others who went to North Vietnam? And Iraq before. I mean, even people like Congressmember McDermott of Seattle, reporters saying that they resigned. I mean, what about, you know, those people in voices in the wilderness, Americans who went to Iraq and violating the U.S. uh, sanctions and bringing food and medicine? You know, and the whole business of being traitors. And I think there's a whole, there's a somehow some wrongheaded notion of what treason is and what patriotism is. And there's some notion that if you disobey the orders of your government or the laws of your government, you're being treasonous. But I believe the government is being treasonous and the government is being unpatriotic when the government violates the fundamental rights of human beings. When the government invades another country, uh, a country that has not attacked it, a country that has not in, uh, threatened it. When our government invades another country and, and drops bombs and kills huge numbers of people, and then Americans have the, the, the guts to go to that country and bring people food and medicine, or go to see what is going on, as many Americans did when they went to Vietnam. Uh, I think these are the most patriotic Americans. And, you know, if you define patriotism as obedience to the government, then you, uh, I think, following a kind of totalitarian principle, because that's the principle of a totalitarian state, that uh, you, you do what the government tells you to do. And democracy means that the government is uh, an instrument of the people. And uh, this is the Declaration of Independence. Governments are artificial entities set up in order to preserve the rights, equal right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness of people. When the government violates those rights, it is the duty of people to defy that government. That is patriotism. Howardson, you called your autobiography, You Can't Be Neutral on a Moving Train. Why? Well, uh, it came from, uh, I stole it from myself. That is, I used to say that to my classes at the beginning of every class. I, did, I, I wanted to be honest with them about the fact that they were not entering a class where the teacher would be neutral. It was not going to be a class where, you know, the teacher spent a half a year with us or a year with the students and they had, would have no idea where the teacher stood on the important issues. This is not going to be a neutral class, I said. I don't believe in neutrality. I believe neutrality is impossible. Because the world is already moving in certain directions. Wars are going on. Children are starving. And to be neutral, to pretend to neutrality, to not take a stand in a situation like that is to collaborate with whatever's going on, to allow it to happen. I did not want to be a collaborator with what was happening. I wanted to... to enter into history. I wanted to play a role. I wanted my students to play a role. I wanted us to intercede. I wanted my history uh, to intercede uh, and to take a stand on behalf of peace, on behalf of of racial equality or sexual equality. Uh, And uh, so I wanted my students to know that right from the beginning. No, you can't be neutral on a moving train. Were you surprised by the election of President Bush, November 2004? Um, a little. <laughs> a little. Uh, that is, uh, I thought that maybe by then, uh, perhaps there would be enough understanding 
about the deception, the hypocrisy of the U.S. government, just enough uh, to dethrone Bush. But I say only a little surprised, because on the other hand, I, I knew that John Kerry was not the candidate to represent the feelings of the American people. By then, by the time of the election, at least half of the American people were already against the war. And now they faced an election where 100% of the candidates were for the war. And so they had nobody to vote for. And, uh, and so I, I, um, with nobody to vote for, with no real alternative, uh, of course, 40% of the pop voting population did not vote. And people ought to remember this, you know, Bush did not win overwhelmingly. Uh, you know, he won by one or two percentage points. And if you consider how many people voted for him against the voting population, you know, he got, you know, maybe 30 percent of the voting population. But uh, it, it was a commentary on the, the pitiful showing of the Democratic Party, uh, its failure to be a true opposition party in this country. And I think maybe a wake-up call to Americans to try to create a new political alternative to a political system that is really a one-party system and that is quite corrupt. Professor Howard Zinn in our Firehouse studio in 2005. The legendary historian, writer, professor, playwright, and activist was born 100 years ago in 1922. On October 21st, 2001, Howard Zinn gave a major address at the University of Vermont in Burlington. It was just over a month after the 9-11 attacks and two weeks after the U.S. invaded Afghanistan, beginning what became the longest war in U.S. history. U.S. troops remained until August 2021. Today, the Taliban are back in power. This is Howard Zinn in 2001. If you think we're, you know, what we're doing in, in Afghanistan is, you know, it's not very much, you know. Uh, consider that there are hundreds of thousands of people in Afghanistan who are fleeing the cities and towns in which they live. Have you seen the pictures of Afghan refugees? It started as soon as Bush promised to bomb, because there are certain American promises they can count on, you say, and that's one of them. Uh, and the, the refugees immediately uh, began moving. And, and so you see the, the pictures of, of these families with all their possessions, or as many of their possessions they carry on their backs and their wagons and their kids, and, uh, and hundreds of thousands of them. So, so this isn't a small thing. This isn't just, oh, we're killing a few people and that's a price we're willing to pay. We are terrorizing Afghanistan. I'm not exaggerating. The people who are in Kabul, the people who are in Kabul, People are in Kabul and people in other places in Afghanistan have to live with the fear of these bombs. Have you lived under bombs? Do you know what it's, can you imagine what it's like? You, you're in a very backward, technologically, right, undeveloped country, and there are these monster machines coming over with this ferocious noise and the lights and the flashing and the explosions. And it's, yes, we're terrorizing people in Afghanistan. And it's not, it's not right to respond to the fact that we have been terrorized, as we have. Not right to respond to that by terrorizing other people. Absolutely wrong. 
And that does mean, that does mean examining the United States and our policies. You know, if, if you, because, no, when you do that, when you suggest that, you know, I think maybe we ought to look at ourselves and our policies. There's people say, oh, you're justifying what happened. No, no, absolutely not. To explain is not to justify. But if you don't want to explain anything, you won't learn anything. So you have to accept to understand. You have to explain without justifying. And you have to look, yes, you have to dig down and see if you can figure out what is at the root of this terrorism. Because there's something at the root besides, you know, uh, irrational, uh, murderous feeling. And, and yes, this was murderous, fanatical feeling. But, but these were not simply madmen who just, you know, there are people like who just go berserk and kill everybody in sight, right? We know that because you know, we've had seen that in our country. Somebody just, you know, something goes haywire in them and they just go wild and they, no, it's not, it's not that terrorism is not that sort of thing. It's there, there's something underneath uh, that, is, you know, that fanaticism which may have a core of truth to it. That is, there's something in the core of belief of these terrorists, which may also be at the core of belief of millions of other people in the world who are not terrorists, who are angry at American policy, but who are not fanatic enough to go and kill Americans because they're angry at our policy, but who are capable of doing that if they are even more aroused. And even if we should begin even doing more things to anger them, there's an, you might say, there's a reservoir of possible terrorists among all those people in the world who have suffered as a result of US foreign policy. Now, I don't know if you think I'm exaggerating when I say there are millions of people in the world who have suffered as a result of US foreign policy. Uh, but yes, there are. And Bush, at the recent press conference, said something like, I don't understand why these people hate us. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, said, we are good. That's what he said. We are good. You know, look at me. Sometimes the United States is good. Yes, there are a lot of good things about the United States. And yes, there are times when the United States is good. And then there are times, unfortunately many times, too many times, when the United States has been bad, uh, evil really, and has carried out policies that have resulted in the deaths of, yes, millions of people. Howard Zinn, speaking in October 2001, just two weeks after the U.S. invaded Afghanistan. We'll hear more from Professor Zinn after this break. 
Did the Arab government care that Saddam Hussein would tyrannize his own people? We helped him tyrannize his people. We helped him gas the Kurds. We helped him accumulate weapons of mass destruction, really. Uh, and uh, when you go to war against a tyrant, the people you kill in the war are the victims of the tyrant. People we killed in Germany were the victims of Hitler. The people we killed in Japan were the victims of the Japan and Imperial Army, you know. And, uh, and the people who die in wars are more and more and more people who are not in the military. You, you may know this about the different ratio of civilian to military deaths in war, how World War One, ten military dead for one civilian dead. In World War II, it was 50-50, half military, half civilian. In Vietnam, it was 70% civilian and 30% military. And in the war since then, it's 80% and 85% civilian. Uh, uh, I became friends a few years ago with an Italian war surgeon named Gino Strada. Wrote a, spent, he spent 10 years, 15 years, doing surgery on war victims all over the world. And he wrote a book about it, Green Parrots, Diary of a War Surgeon. He said, in all the patients that he operated on in Iraq and Afghanistan and everywhere, 85% of them were civilians, one-third of them children. If you understand, oh. and if people understand, and if you spread the word of this understanding, that whatever is told to you about war and how in, how we must go to war and whatever the threat is or whatever the goal is, democracy or liberty, it will always be a war against children. They're the ones who will die yeah. in large numbers. For war, well, Einstein said this after World War One. said war cannot be humanized. It can only be abolished. War has to be abolished, you know, and uh, it's... Uh, I know, I know, I know it's a long shot. <laughs> I understand that. But you have to, when something's a long shot, but it has to be done, you have to start doing it. Just as the ending of slavery in this country in the 1830s was a really long shot, but people stuck at it. And it took 30 years that slavery was done away with. And uh, we can see this again and again. So, uh, we have, a, we have a job to do. We have lots of things to do. Uh, one of the things we can learn from history is that history is not only a history of things inflicted on us by the powers that be. History is also a history of resistance. It's a history of, of people uh, who endure tyranny for decades, uh, but who ultimately rise up and overthrow the dictator. We've seen this in country after country, surprise after surprise. Rulers who seem to have total control, they suddenly wake up one day and there are uh, a million people in the streets and they pack up and leave. Uh, they, that would, this has happened in the Philippines and, uh, and, uh, and in Yemen, in uh, all over, in uh, uh, Nepal. A million people in the streets and then the, the ruler has to get out of the way. Uh, so uh, this is what we're aiming for uh, in this country. 
Uh, everything we do is important. Every little thing we do, every, every picket line we walk on, every letter we write, every act of civil disobedience we engage in, uh, any recruiter that we talk to, any parent that we talk to, any GI that we talk to, any young person that we talk to, anything we do in class, outside of class, everything we do in the direction of a different world uh, is important, uh, even though at the moment they seem futile, uh, because that's how change comes about. Change comes about when millions of people do little things which at certain points in history come together and then uh, something good and something important happens. Thank you. Legendary historian Howard Zinn speaking in 2006. Well, three years later, in May of 2009, just a year before he died, Professor Zinn joined us in the Democracy Now! studio as he launched the paperback edition of A Young People's History of the United States. I asked him if he thought his retelling of history about Columbus and other traditional heroes was suitable for children. It's true that uh, people have asked that question again and again. Uh, you know, should we tell uh, kids uh, that Columbus, whom they have been told was a great hero, uh, Columbus mutilated Indians and kidnapped them and killed them uh, in pursuit of gold? Should we tell people that uh, Theodore Roosevelt, who is held up as one of our great presidents, who was really a, a warmonger, who loved military exploits and who congratulated an American general who committed a massacre in the Philippines, should be telling our people that. And I think the answer is we should be honest with young people. We should not deceive them. Uh, we should be honest about the history of our country. And uh, we should be not only taking down the traditional heroes like Andrew Jackson, Theodore Roosevelt, but we should be giving young people an alternate set of heroes. Instead of Theodore Roosevelt, tell them about Mark Twain. Mark Twain, well, Mark Twain, everybody learns about as the author of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, but when we go to school, we don't learn about Mark Twain as the vice president of the anti-imperialist league. We aren't told that Mark Twain denounced Theodore Roosevelt for approving this massacre of the Philippines. No, we want to give uh, young people uh, ideal figures like Helen Keller. And I remember learning about Helen Keller. Everybody learns about Helen Keller. You know, a disabled person who overcame her handicaps and became famous. But people don't learn in school. And young people don't learn in school. What we want them to learn when we do books like A Young People's History of the United States, and Helen Keller was a socialist. She was a, a labor organizer. She refused to cross a picket line that was picketing a theater showing a play about her. And so there were these, these alternate heroes in American history. There's Fannie Lou Hamer and Bob Moses. They're the heroes of the civil rights movement. There are a lot of people who are obscure, who are not known. We have in this young people's history, we have a, a, a young hero uh, who um, was sitting on the bus and refused, in Montgomery, Alabama, refused to leave the front of the bus. And it was before Rosa Parks. I mean, Rosa Parks is 
justifiably famous for refusing to uh, leave her seat, and she got arrested, and that was the beginning of the Montgomery bus boycott, and really the beginning of a great movement in the South. But we, uh, this 15-year-old girl did it first, and so we, we have a lot of, we are trying to bring a lot of these obscure people back uh, into the forefront of our attention and, and inspire young people to say this is the way to live. Howard Zinn in the Democracy Now! studio in 2009 as he launched the paperback edition of the Young People's History of the United States. He died unexpectedly the next year in January of 2010. We end today's show with one of Howard Zinn's last public appearances. He spoke in November 2009 at Boston University. When I was discharged from the Army, from the Air Force, I got a letter from General Marshall. He was a general of generals. He was sending a letter, uh, not a personal letter to me. <laughs> uh, dear Howie. <laughs> no. <laughs> a letter that was sent to 16 million men who had served in the armed forces, some women too. <laughs> uh, and uh, the letter was something like this. We won the war. Congratulations for your service. It will be a new world. It wasn't a new world. And we know it hasn't been a new world since World War II. War after war after war after war. And 50 million people were dead in that war to end all wars. To end fascism and dictatorship and militarism. No, so, yes, I came to the conclusion that war cannot be tolerated, no matter what we're told. And if we think that there are good wars, and it's therefore, well, maybe this is a good war, I wanted to examine the so-called good wars, the holy wars, and, uh, yeah, and take a good look at them, and think again about the phenomenon of war, and come to the conclusion, yes, war cannot be tolerated. No matter what we're told, no matter what tyrant exists, what border has been crossed, what aggression has taken place, it's not that we're going to be passive in the face of tyranny or, or aggression. No, we will find ways other than war to deal with whatever problems we have. And war is inevitably, inevitably, the indiscriminate massive killing of huge numbers of people and children are a good part of those people. Every war is a war against children. Uh, so it's not just getting rid of <laughs> Saddam Hussein. Think about it. Well, we got rid of Saddam Hussein. And of course, we killed huge numbers of people who had been victims of Saddam Hussein. When you fight a war against a tyrant, who do you kill? You kill the victims of the tyrant. Anyway, all this... Well, this is simply to make us think again about war and, and to think, you know, we, well, we're at war now, <laughs> right? In Iraq, in Afghanistan, and sort of in Pakistan, since we're sending rockets over there and killing innocent people in Pakistan. And uh, so we should not accept that. No, we 
always look for that. Look for a, a peace movement to join. Really, look for some peace organization to join. Uh, it will look small at first and pitiful and helpless, but that's how movements start. That's how the movement against the Vietnam War started. Started with handfuls of people who thought they were helpless, thought they were powerless. But remember, this the power of the people on top depends on the obedience of the people below. When people stop obeying, they have no power. Now, when workers go on strike, huge corporations lose their power. When consumers boycott, huge business establishments uh, have to give in. When soldiers refuse to fight, as so many soldiers did in Vietnam, so many deserters, so many fraggings, acts of violence by enlisted men against officers in Vietnam. B-52 pilots refusing to fly bombing missions anymore. War can't go on. When enough soldiers refuse, the government has to has to decide we can't continue. So yes, uh, people have the power if they begin to organize, if they protest, if to create a strong enough movement, uh, they can change things. That's all I want to say. Historian Howard Zinn speaking in 2009, just months before his death. Northwestern professor Kianga Yamato-Taylor has written, we need Howardson now more than ever, not for the sake of romance or to construct another hero in history. We need his insights, his politics, and his commitment to the struggle for a better world. And that does it for our centennial, celebrating the historian Howard Zinn, born 100 years ago in 1922. Special thanks to Mike Burke, Neil Shibata, and Brendan Allen. Democracy Now! is produced with Renee... I did six. Oh, Grandma, get on PBS. Highlighting the eclectic show are Josh's Broadway co-star, Danae Bent, artist David Garibaldi, New York City Ballet's Tyler Peck, rising star Freeland, and the one and only Cindy Lauper. It's an uplifting evening of music with Josh Groban's Great Big Radio City Show. T. Mertz Charitable Trust, Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, the Abra Prentice Foundation, Jody and John Arnold, the Star Foundation, the Philip and Janice Levin Foundation, the K.W. Cassidy Foundation, the Taya Pechek Yervalino Foundation, Seton J. Melvin, the Estate of Worthington Mayo Smith, the Jack Lawrence Trust, Ellen and James S. Marcus, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Funding for this program is also provided by Lenny and Peter May.
you look great. Thanks for coming. Hope I didn't squash your expectations tonight. Met a sweet honeydew. Introduced her to my folks. They don't approve, so uh, we can't elope. <laughs> I need help. I need help. <laughs> they got the cantaloupes and the, all of that stuff sitting on a chair because it's COVID time. Okay. Hi, Richard. Josh, how are you, buddy? Oh, you know, same. It's, you know, been weird. <laughs> okay, first of all, take off the mask. Oh, the mask. Yeah, no, yeah, no problem. Yeah, sure. Just going to pop that bad boy right off. Now the other mask. I don't even I don't even know it's on my face. Josh, what are you doing? No big deal. You don't go outside. Who are you gonna catch COVID from? Yourself? Look, Richard, I have a little problem. Oh, Josh, you always call me with your problems. Don't you have any other friends? You're it. <laughs> All right, what is it? I'm feeling a little anxious, Richard. I don't know if I'm ready to to hit the stage. I don't even know if I'm ready to hit the sidewalk, to be honest. And Josh. I understand. Take it slow. Ease back. 75, 100 people. Maybe a small cabaret. Actually, it's um, it's it's Radio City Music Hall. Radio City Music Hall. I got an idea. Anything you could do. I got this friend. He's got this thing. It'll it'll help you ease back into the world. It's like the Pope Mobile, only it's non-denominational. He's walking around with this uh, box around him. You can see out of, but he's he's got he's got some banisters and he's walking around the city. <laughs> Mama made me mash my Come on, I just had a detail.
Kansas City Music Hall, New York. It's so amazing to see you all. It is so great to be back in this venue, in pants. It's all happening. I have dreamed of this moment for the entirety of the time we were all just isolated and, and missing each other, missing our friends, our family, the music we love, performing, my band, my crew, this orchestra, everybody that I've missed. I've missed everybody. I've missed you, damn it. I'm not afraid to say it. This is an enormous place, as Richard Kind uh, mentioned, to be coming back. Uh, 87,000 square feet, this venue. 87,000 square feet. Yeah. Ooh. I, I whooped as well when I heard that backstage just a minute ago. That is larger than the largest New York City apartment by 87,000 square feet. Um, but we had titled it Great Big because it's a big venue and it's a big night and we're feeling, you know, large. Our hearts are large. Um, I'm not inventive when it comes to coming up with titles for shows. So we call it the Great Big Radio City Show because it is big and we are a radio city. But we had some other names that we were thinking of. I really liked them. My lawyers did not. But in all seriousness, we, we, are, we are just so unbelievably humbled and grateful to be back uh, here doing what we love. And we would not be able to be back if it was not for the incredible, uh, the incredible work of our frontline workers, our medical workers that have been tireless from day one of this, when it was this unknown thing. They've been on the front lines doing their best to keep us safe and trying to make sure that for you, for us backstage everywhere, we're able to keep doing this thing that we love. And I want to dedicate this next song to them because they are the angels of the last two years. This is called Angels. Please push to my home. 
shredded on that. That was amazing. Tark and Tony on the guitar, everybody. That is a song by uh, the great Robbie Williams. It's very, very um, wonderful, wonderful uh, British singer-songwriter. And so um, I love this song. I'm so excited to sing this song, and I'm especially excited to sing this song with a very special friend uh, who you'll see in a minute. This is called Both Sides Now.
called in, just uh, got uh, engrossed in making the change quickly, but thank you, sister, for calling in, and uh, do it again. <laughs> yes, Ta Tishana from New Orleans, just want to acknowledge you called in. and Some terrific ways to say thank you. Thank Take you. Take a look. Support. Just gonna go to the next section here. Jump over. And this. Nope. Oh, Mentito. Takes a bit to get through this. Okay. Now, the city has been through a lot many, many times. This is a city that knows, understands pain, understands recovery, understands how to really get tough when it's time to get tough and rejuvenate and renew and find a way. The city has so much will to find those ways, and this was no exception. The fact that art especially thrived during this time period when it could have just shuttered. I mean, we had shows that were closing, we had museums were closing, but it didn't stop actors from doing Zoom plays. It didn't stop orchestras from getting their instruments out and doing TikTok songs from across the world with each other. And it didn't stop art from being, uh, from, from blossoming around us. And this artist is somebody who just done so much for the world of visual art, somebody I've watched online for a really long time and really wanted to make him part of the show tonight. Please uh, give a warm welcome to the wonderful artist, David Garibaldi, everybody. David, I don't yes. want to. I don't want to presume. How are you? Can see it first of all. Yes, we can uh, hug now. We we can hug. Yes, I was going to say that's that's dry paint, right? I was I was nervous for for a moment. Yeah, there's a handprint on your back now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kick me. It's a, he painted kick me back there. David, you um you perform with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole body goes into it. Tell everybody a little bit about what it is, what it is you do. Yes, so I'm a performance painter. I create these large portraits in minutes to music. Try to make the art process entertaining for you. For the audience. And you paint very quickly. You paint with not just brushes, but your your hands. You paint. You just paint with everything. You're, okay. you're giving it all. And it's very, very quick. Yes, it's very fast. And I use whatever's nearby. So if you step near me, I may <laughs> you could have picked me up. use a brush. I mean, my hair has been called many things, but a brush is not one of them. Well, we have this incredible uh, canvas yes. has, has risen for you. Yes. I'm going to let you go to where where you feel most at home. And I'm going to take this, this mic stand over here. And David and I, we are going to do a song that... I felt 
both represents how quickly the city has continued to move through this terrible time and also represents the brilliance of what it is that David does. This is called New York Minute. Oh, 
Thank you so much. Enjoy the ride, my friend. Enjoy the ride. Mm. It was the Statue of Liberty, but he had a different face on it. I can only say that. I'll just let it, let's continue. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I, um, you know, we talked a little bit about arts education, and I would not be here if it was not for my arts teachers. Um, I'll say one more thing. Uh, the Statue of Liberty wasn't a happy camper with the way we've been behaving. That's what I think the message was. But here we go. Change everything. I am a product of quality arts education. I ham it up, but I'm, I'm an introvert. Like when I'm on stage, like I'm, I just, I'm a hermit, and I, I don't really go out much and don't do much. Why I like New York because it kicks my ass out of the door. Um, but when I was when I was younger, I was especially really, really like awkward. I had a hard time. My grades weren't great. I didn't know why. Um, I had a hard time making friends, and it was it was my teachers, it was my theater teacher, my choir teacher, that kind of gave me those moments, those little moments. Give it up for the arts teachers in New York City and across the country, because all the educators, I mean, I, I love our teachers. They are also on the front lines. They're on the front lines of, of our youth to make sure that they feel comfortable and confident in, a, in, a, in an ever-changing and terrifying world. Um, but, you know, being pulled out of the back of the choir and being told, like, hey, you've got something, and I think that you could do something, uh, and I'm going to give it to you in as assignment because that was important because if it wasn't an assignment I wouldn't have done it and it was the most magical experience singing my first solo for a group of kids that I thought for sure it would just wedgie me for the rest of my life They gave me applause it felt like my first time realizing that this was my language and so when I wrote this next song I was thinking about that kid I was thinking about like that teacher and I was thinking about those moments and this is for all of them this is called Granted Thank you. 
But this is somebody that I have idolized, so many of us on stage have idolized for so many years. She is a singer, a songwriter, a writer, an icon, somebody who has given so much to the city and to the whole world. Please show your love for the absolutely incomparable Cindy Lauper, everybody. If you 
one of the wealthy visionaries that got her blessing and she's been helping all kinds of people for all these years time after time here we go incredible hold on we're jumping across the 
the middle part. <laughs> here into your home and the homes across the community. Thank you so much for your support. And now back to the show. I have a great privilege of inviting friends and guests um, and surprises into this show. Uh, it's one of the most fun things that we are able to do when creating a show like this. And um, and sometimes I get to sing with artists that um, I've known for a long time. And sometimes you get an opportunity to sing with somebody who is just like a breath of fresh air and is a new artist and is somebody that when you sing with them, you're like, Oh, this is, this is a new and amazing thing. Um, and this artist is absolutely, um, one of those people. He's somebody who's taking the country music world by storm and beyond. He doesn't really have a genre. Um, but he's somebody that I've been thrilled to call my friend during this time and somebody that I'm so happy to invite to the stage. Please welcome the wonderful Breland to the stage. Come over here. Come from right. When I go left, he goes right. I got you. Hi, guys. There's no guessing. Um, you're brand, I mean, you are brand new to this industry. You're a baby in the industry. Yeah. I, I dropped my first song right before COVID hit. So. Nicely. <laughs> yeah, great timing on that. Um, but this, this song is so beautiful. When did you write this song that we're going to sing? I wrote this song uh, right after the George Floyd murder yeah. and I uh, just was feeling like I had a lot of emotions yeah. and I wanted to have an outlet to express that and you'll kind of hear what that's about in the song. That's such a, um, it's the best gift that we have is that we were able to express and we're able to write and we're able to get it out of our system when we need to. So I'm going to go over to, um, I'm going to go over here and let you take, okay, one, two, Yeah. 
so much, Tyler. Give it up one more time for your very own Tyler Peck. I'm going to give the band a break. I feel like you all, you deserve, not you, Mark. Not you, Mark. Sit down. But this incredible band, I'm going to give them just a minute because this song, you know, I, I'm a musical theater fan. I know we've, we've established this. We've seen the pictures. Uh, but I am. I went to the Interlochen Arts Camp. Uh, I went to the Los Angeles County School of the Arts. I was theater, like theater, theater, theater. It was my, my escape. So when I recorded this song, this song is from Les Miserables. Any Les Mis fans out there tonight? This song feels so relevant to me right now. Um, and I want to dedicate this song to the people of Ukraine. I want to dedicate this song to those that are way, way, way outside these doors that are fighting for their freedom, they're fighting for their right to exist, and to all of those um, that have had to leave, uh, I want to dedicate this to them and hope that they are able to get back to their rightful home. This is called Bringing Home.
powerful tribute. And bring him home. Bring them all home. No more war. War is over. <laughs> So I wanted to make my parents proud and we didn't get a pint till I was 21. I promise. And I was in Dublin and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a few pints in. It's been a long press day and I'm just kind of just feeling the, feeling the Dublin air and just kind of thinking to myself, what a cool, what a cool day. What a cool trip. This is so cool. I get to do this. And this song, this song comes on the radio and I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a great song. I just loved it. I just thought this is really beautiful. And then I got to my hotel and I didn't think about it again. And then David and I were in the studio, and we were recording um, my second album, Closer, and we were just working on stuff. And all of a sudden, a friend of his came in and says, I got some songs I want to play for you. It sounds very old-timey. Hey, guys, I don't know what you're doing. I got some songs for you. And he put out his vinyls, and they said, oh, that's going to be a hit song. No, he played this song, and I went, oh, my God, that's my, that's my Dublin Taxi song. I know that song. That song's beautiful, and it's beautiful sober. It's beautiful both ways. And, um, and so we stopped what we were doing. And we started recording this song. And I never, I never could have imagined that this song would take me to, to everywhere in the world, that it would be re-recorded by a thousand people, become kind of a modern classic. And it's a song that, that I think the reason people love it so much is that it can mean so many different things to so many people. You know, it can be about a friend, it can be about a parent, it can be about a loved one, if you're spiritual, it can be about God. And so it has become the soundtrack to so many people's lives. And so... Um, you know, as I said, you know it, sing along. It becomes the same chorus three times. That's it. This is called You Raise Me Up. You guys have been amazing. Thank you so much again. Oh, 
thank you so much. Thank you so very much. I can't tell you how much that means to me. We are so blessed to be here and so blessed to be back and to be welcomed like that. There is nothing 
I say it all the time. There is nothing like being welcomed by New York City. It's, it's, it, can be, it can be an intimidating place when you first get here, especially if you're in the arts. It can be an intimidating place when you first come to New York because it's a city that commands you know, greatness. You've got to be good. And people are, you know, they're, they'll tell you. <laughs> and, you know, but there's nothing. There's no better feeling when you feel like New York City gets you. There is no better feeling. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart for getting me and for letting me get you and... It just means so much because, and especially now, I've always been grateful, but this has been a really hard couple of years for everybody. It's been really, really hard. And, you know, be kind to yourselves because we're still figuring all this out. We're still figuring this stuff out. We're still trying to figure out who we are at the other end of this. We're still trying to figure out how to be vibrant and we're trying to figure out how to be vital and what we love and what we do and the connections we have with people. And I feel, and I've always felt very, very lucky that music and the arts has a way of making us feel the things we didn't know we're feeling and it has a way of giving us a language when regular words won't do it. And so to be able to be um, on in a place where I, I have the privilege of being able to do that is, is something that, that I, I don't take lightly and is something that I, I feel very, 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 very grateful for. And so I want to sing this next song in that spirit. This is called The Impossible Dream. Oh, <laughs> 
New York. How can you beat that? <laughs> All right, Rainbird, I'm going to give it to you. You got the last word. And Quetzalcoatl's hanging out here and all the, everybody, everybody. Uh, there ain't no uh, veil here. Here it comes, Rainbird. <laughs> I got it. Yay, <laughs> New York City. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for all that entertainment tonight. It was definitely a lighten up evening. <laughs> yes, we're on a roll now. There's only yeah, one. Yeah, we are. So. And yeah, uh, peace, peace, peace. <laughs> peace. Yes, peace. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you have to force it, uh, Howard Jen told us. You may have to force it. <laughs> wow, that was such a good choice that Amy did. Wow. Oh, I know. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Pass it out Lots. to everybody you can think of, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you can tell people to call there and, yep, it's there. <laughs> It's there. It's all there. Let's choose peace. So and it's, it's all here it's now. On the plate. In the Sarah now, I mean, the Sarah would definitely help. We have to have peace first. I, I <laughs> uh, we have to have accountability first. Yeah, well, let's do that. Yes, and we're going to do it with love. 
Not going to do yes. the same thing these naughty kids did. No way. <laughs> no way. No way. Uh, yes, okay. we can. Okay, so I pass this talking stick over to you, Rama. What you got? Anything? <laughs> um, sure. This is, uh, uh, you know. Just nice and loud, honey. Just listen. Okay. Happy Christmas, Coco. Happy Christmas, Julia. So this is Christmas. <laughs> and what have you done? Another year over. And you won't just be gone. And so
Okay, I think we're in the midst of a great completion of this year. Here comes 2023. <laughs> Thank you for all of the time that we get to be together and let's keep doing it. Yes, we can. And inshallah, sat nam. Sat nam di. Aho mitakuihasen. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil. Live long and prosper. And that's in order. Namaste, everyone. See you this afternoon. It's going to be a good one tomorrow, too. Namaste.